Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamat Karsandu from Toronto in Canada, and it is a big week of MMA. UFC 267 is coming down the line, and uh, they're off to Fight Island, Sandu. We wondered when they were going to actually go back and do a big show. We're going to get one big show at Fight Island before the end of the year, and this is it. And it's going to be an absolute banger. First off, well, you're a little bit under the weather this week, but how have things been? Yeah, things have been good, Si. Yeah, um, we obviously spoke a little bit off air. Uh, feeling a little bit under the weather today. I think it's just a case of the weather changing over. We kind of switched our uh, house air conditioning off from the AC you know, cooling unit to uh, the uh, the heating side of things. So, yeah, things are getting a little bit nippy here yeah, in Toronto. And I think the weather change has kind of just impacted me a little bit. But <clears throat> that being said, can't complain. Busy, the train keeps rolling. Got, And I think... Now that we are kind of past maybe a couple of maybe low, low, you know, kind of a lull period in terms of what the UFC are typically known to put out in terms of a standard of high level stuff. The rest of the year is absolutely just stacked. Um, and this is not just the pay-per-views, even the fight night cards are really, really good. I mean, some solid, solid main events. So, yeah, big, strong push uh, to close out the remaining, what? six or seven weeks of ufc action and of course we've still got some bellator events in the mix as well so good times yeah and this past weekend was one of those double header weekends sandu we had bellator 269 i covered that for bbc and we had ufc fight night costa versus vittori and it's a bit unusual because normally it stretches the night out when you've got a double header they normally have one of them's early one of them runs late and then you go to bed absolutely knackered at about 6.30 in the morning. Not so this weekend, because they were both early. Yeah. Bellator 269 was in Russia, in Moscow. UFC Fight Night, Costa Vittori, was in Vegas, but it was at prime time. So they were basically running side by side. Meant I had two screens. I actually had three screens going at one point, because we had KSW 64. Uh, I had to see the Marius Pudzianowski versus uh, Bombardier fight. Ridiculous. Lasted 18 seconds. One punch KO. Check out my Twitter feed if you haven't seen it already. It's there. It's it's one of those. It was like a proper pride throwback fight. I thought I've got to keep that on the screen. Keep uh, keep an eye on that. But we had Fedor. Speaking of pride throwbacks, Fedor in the main event uh, on uh, on Saturday night against Tim Johnson, ranked number two in the world in Bellator, and uh, Fedor just dusts him. Just absolutely puts him away. Brilliant three punch combination. The hand speed has not left Fedor. The power has not left Fedor. And we're talking about Fedor being on this retirement tour, Sandu. He was never going to retire after fighting Tim Johnson, was he? Because, yeah, Tim Johnson, high-ranked contender, not a big name. So what do we do now if you're Scott Coker? Do you book the Josh Barnett fight, which is the fight that I think we have to see before Fedor retires? Or do we see Fedor fighting for the Bellator heavyweight title? He's just knocked out the number two contender. Could we get a Cinderella story at the end of his career? What do you reckon? I mean, in many ways, the the Moscow event this past weekend was the Cinderella story, wasn't it, for Fedor? And if only he would perhaps take that opportunity to kind of you know take it all in, breathe it in, and then kind of ride off into the sunset. I mean, what better send-off could you have gotten than to get a vintage knockout like that in your backyard and just be the darling of your entire country? But he seemingly wants to continue fighting and I don't personally want to see him in a, in a world championship fight. Um, not that he perhaps doesn't have the ability to, to win and become heavyweight champion in Bellator. It's just why, if you're the promotion, why would you book him in a title fight knowing that, you know, he's basically at the end of his career. Maybe he's going to give you one more fight, maybe two more fights. Um, you, know, you want to try and invest in your matchmaking so that whoever holds that title could, could be there for the long term. I think you've got to kind of go into the free agency market, Simon. You know, you've still got Junior DeSantos, who's out there. You've got Alistair Overeem. You know, I think the JDS matchup could be quite interesting because that was always kind of like one of the, the dream what-if scenarios, especially when, you know, JDS was on the top of his game and UFC heavyweight champion. But I, I think you've got to kind of go... In, oh, and, and by the way, I love the Josh Barnett fight as well. Um, so any of those three, I, I think that's what you do. Uh, I, I hear this talk of, you know, basically them trying to get Fedor to fight in Chicago where there's like a big Russian contingent. Um, and obviously Fedor fought there back in the day 
um, for Strike Force. So yeah, let's uh, let's keep this train rolling. Obviously, the performance on the weekend. At first, I thought it was like a one hit a quitter, and then I saw the replay, and it was more of a three piece and a vodka. So um, <laughs> it was great to see you know Fedor you know really give a vintage performance there, and it was kind of I guess the, the feel good moment of the weekend. Three piece and a vodka. That is genius. Well done, Mr. Sandy. That was great. But yeah, it, the Josh Barnett fight is the fight that I want to see. Just as someone who's watched MMA for as long as I have, it's incredible to think that they've both had this, they've both had this really long career each, often fighting under the same banner, whether it be at Pride, whether it be with Bellator, and yet they've never fought. It seems remarkable to think their paths have never crossed. They're good friends, but they did say, or Josh Barnett has said, He'd fight Fedor. He'd love to fight Fedor just one once before they hang their gloves up. He told us that in Dublin uh, when he was a guest fighter for Bellator Dublin a year or well, it's probably a couple of years ago now. Um, and he was really bullish on that. He really wanted to do that. It's all gone a bit quiet on that front. Um, my old MMA junkie colleague, Danny Segura, put out that Anderson Silva might not be the worst option. That's the sort of super fight that Bellator might be able to make now that Silva is a free agent. Who knows? But I like that idea. But I like the Josh Barnett idea best. I think I think that would just put the cap on both fighters' careers. It would be an amazing, amazing send-off for both men and would be a real throwback. But uh, who knows? Maybe they could even do it in Japan. What a way to send it off, both former Pride FC uh, stalwarts. So, uh, But yeah, it was quite remarkable to see how Fedor was still able to put his hands together like that on, on fight night. Um, his fellow countrymen had sort of mixed results on the night, Vitaly Minikov dislocated his finger during a fight and uh, he was on his way to win him, possibly. Dislocated his finger, he lost. Usman Nurmagomedov looked good. Anatoly Tokov didn't look that great, but got the win. So it was a bit of a mixed bag, but it was all about Fedor. He got the big win and the event that was really set up for him uh, ended with a big win for the last Emperor. That was Bellator 269. Running side by side with that was UFC Fight Night 196. And a fight card that... That was it was sort of okay on paper, and it had an interesting main event in terms of Paolo Costa versus Marvin Vittori. But the way things panned out on Fight Week, Sandu, a fight a fight night that was sort of of interest turned into absolute must see TV by the time the two main eventers got into the cage. Loads of shenanigans during Fight Week. The fight was booked as a 186 pound non-title fight at middleweight. Paolo Costa arrives during the week, says, "I'm not going to make 186." Can we do a catch weight? They agree to do 195 pounds as a catch weight. Then just hours before they're due to step on the scale, Costa then turns around and says, I'm not going to make 195 pounds. Can we do light heavy? Vittori, because he's a crazy man, said, yeah, sod it. Let's do light heavyweight. I just want to get in there and smash your face in. They booked the fight at 205. Paolo Costa gets in there looking like a heavyweight. And Vittori goes in there looking like a middleweight who hasn't cut weight. And they both served up an absolute barnstormer of a main event. The fight and the night award should have gone, or sorry, performance of the night should have gone to Vittori's chin. The stuff that he absorbed in, in that fight was insane. The head kicks, the straight right hands. I mean, Costa was putting it on him and he just kept coming back. He would not be denied. Brilliant performance from Marvin Vittori. He got the win, deservedly so. Uh, Karma got what um, had had something in store for Paolo Costa, who was basically messing everybody about during fight week. And now I want to see Paolo Costa only at light heavyweight. I mean, I don't think the UFC can afford to let him mess them around or mess around any of the other guys at the top of the UFC middleweight division. How did you see all that shenanigans in fight week? Because gamesmanship is part and parcel of the fight game, but this just seemed sort of beyond beyond the bounds of sort of decency and you know what's acceptable sandy yeah completely unprofessional got to give major kudos to marvin vittori for essentially sticking with it regardless of the changes and it looks like paolo costa didn't even you know bother trying to cut any weight whatsoever he just about made the 205 weight limit and i actually thought this was really cheeky on his part because when i was looking at the odds vittori was the favorite Going coming into this fight, and I thought to myself, I think Costa could be a live dog here. You know, he's obviously coming in, you know, probably knowing well in advance that he wasn't going to cut weight uh, and make 185 pounds, nowhere near. And it was more of a surprise to Vittori, who then had to, I guess, 
you know, yeah, he didn't have to cut any weight, but that's still a lot of, that's a, that's a massive change uh, during fight week, right? And the fact that the fight played out the way it did, first of all, just an absolute banger of a fight. Like, talk yeah. about both guys coming in um, and going balls to the wall. And I have to say, I'm so impressed with Marvin Vittori because some of those shots that he took from Paolo Costa, I thought, wow, like, how is he, like taking these on the chin he is so damn durable and i think coming out of this event marvin vittori his stock is so high you know he, he got absolutely you know dominated by israel adesanya and i think people were viewing him as a bit of a whack job just in terms of how he saw the fight with adesanya playing out thinking that yeah. he had won we're like what fight are you watching and, and here we are and the italian dream has become an absolute almost a bit of a hero for the MMA community, whereas Paolo Costa is now the clear villain. He's in a difficult situation because I don't think the UFC should or they will allow him to fight at middleweight again. So I feel, and, and to be honest with you, fight at 205. You know, bulk up even more if you want to and, and cut down to 205 because it feels like that's a division that needs characters that is perhaps a little bit more shallow than the other divisions in the UFC. There's probably a quicker path there to the title. Um, and there'll be some fun and interesting matchups there for Paolo Costa. And for Marvin Vittori, it's like, you know, you, you just got to now parlay this into some momentum again. You know, you've, you know, like I said, your stock is high. You're, you're the hero of the MMA community and you're, you're back in a win column, most importantly. And, and also you've shown that you can compete at 205. He looked pretty healthy and good as well. But I feel like from a competitive standpoint, you know, he's still got some time uh, to put in at 185 pounds. And look, you know, I don't know where Darren Till is, Simon, in terms of his recovery from his injury. I know he's still in Vegas right now at the UFC PI, putting in the work and, and rehabbing. But there's always going to be that the chance of that London event in March. And I would still love to see an all-European clash between Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Um, so who knows? Maybe that's something that they could figure out if you know all things go according to plan. Uh, March is still, what, about five months or so away. So maybe that'll give Darren Till enough time. It'll be a main event for Vittori, who deserves it. Darren Till, back in the UK, that will give him a chance to um, perform in front of, you know, his home crowd and give him a bit of a, an advantage there, a mental advantage of anything. Uh, and it's a fight that, you know, has always kind of been there or thereabouts to potentially get booked one day. So that's kind of how I see things playing out for both, uh, for Costa and Vittori. But major kudos to Marvin Vittori because uh, other people would have perhaps asked for more money or a higher percentage or perhaps even just could have said, nah, I'm not interested anymore because the amount of uh, weight uh, that he's probably carrying in is a major disadvantage to me. So, you know, give him a big round of applause. Yeah, it seemed to me like all the chips were on Paolo Costa's side of the table. I mean, he was going in, he was the one dictating terms, which really didn't make any sense. You know, like, from from a from a what's what's justifiable standpoint, he was making outlandish demands that should not have been allowed. But you take a look at that fight card. You take the main event off that fight card. It's pretty thin in terms of star power. The UFC really needed that fight. Marvin Vittori did a huge solid for the UFC by basically accepting Paolo Costa's demands virtually. And um, yeah, I'd like to think that he gets. I'm sure he got. Uh, you know, a nice little sweetener after the fight. We talk about these locker room bonuses that are never reported. He got a $50,000 performance of the night bonus, but he may well have got a little bit extra. I mean, he deserved more than 20% of Paolo Costa's money, to be honest with you. Um, and I think the reason they got performance of the night as opposed to fight of the night may well have been because they just didn't want to make the point of the fact that they were taking money off Paolo Costa. I think, uh, I think Vittori fully deserved his 50 G's extra. And probably a bit more, to be honest with you. And I agree with you. Vittori needs to keep it at 185. Absolutely. He's got he's got plenty of stock at 185. He's now in great position with regard to the UFC. The UFC are going to want to give him something decent after that fight because, you know, he's, he's just beaten the number two ranked middleweight in the world. So he should now take Costa's ranking. Arguably, Costa should be taken out of the rankings. Kevin Ioli wrote... Very strong piece leading up to the fight, saying Costa should basically be binned from the division and be told you've got to make weight twice before you're allowed back in uh, in terms of the rankings. I don't mind that as a take, to be honest with you. It's quite strong, but I don't disagree with it. Um, 
But yeah, Costa at 205 makes a lot of sense. You take a look at that 205 pound division. He'd be competitive in there. Would he be a championship contender? If he's a championship contender at 85, there's a fair bet he could be a championship contender at 205. But don't underestimate the difference in size uh, in terms of the opponents. Jerry, uh, sorry, uh, Paolo Costa getting in there with a, a Marvin Vittori who hasn't cut weight is not the same as Paolo Costa getting in there with Jury Prohaska or Alexander Rakic or Thiago Santos. They are big, big dudes. And uh, he'll have to fight on a level playing field with those guys. And those guys are used to throwing around and, and smacking around guys who weigh 206 pounds at weighing day and 225 pounds on fight night. Paolo Costa isn't used to that. So that'll be interesting to see what would happen if Costa did move up to 205. That is his natural weight class. So I think that much is pretty clear. And uh, you take a look at the top 10, top 15 at 205. Johnny Walker's ranked at 10. Ion Kutalaba is ranked at 15. Either of those guys would be a fun fight for him to introduce himself to the division and try and peg himself into that ranking structure. But um, yeah, I don't understand why he did what he did. It doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. I don't know what he was looking to gain out of it. He's just pissed everybody off at this point. And then he went and lost. To do all of that and win, you kind of got a small sliver of sort of something to take out the weekend. But he lost. And it was quite clear that he lost. So, uh, you know, it went about as badly as it could have gone for him. The only thing that could have gone worse was if he got knocked out. But, um, yeah, bad weekend for Paolo Costa. Um, Just looking at the rest of the fight card, Sandu, Grant Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn, uh, that was a decent fight in the co-main event. Went to a a majority draw. You don't see many draws in MMA, but that one I thought was a, a fair result. Jessica Rose Clark getting a good win. Alex Caceres with a great performance. But what I wanted to talk to you about, we had two uh, two British fighters uh, on the card looking to do the business. Mason Jones, Jai Herbert, and both of them got their first win in the UFC. Both of them have been unlucky in past fights, but both of them turned up on fight night and put on good performances. Jai Herbert with a great finish of Karma Worthy. Halfway through the first round, brilliant performance. Really showed off what he's all about. Mason Jones, although after the fact, said that he wasn't that impressed with how he did. He went back and forth with a really decent performer in David Anama and uh, earned himself a well-deserved 29-28 victory across the board. Great to see the two Brits getting big wins, Sandu. Absolutely. And the one thing we didn't touch on is the fact that this was an early card and we're getting a lot of early cards coming up. And so both Mason and Jai would have been fighting prime time. UK, you know, and so they were yeah. probably had a lot of a lot of support from everyone tuning in to BT Sport, watching live um, in the UK, in Wales and England, and it's it's just great to see, you know, like f- you know former Cage Warriors champions, a bit of a stuttering start for a variety of different reasons, and here they are, you know, finally getting their first UFC win under their belt in Vegas. Yes, it's not in a in a, in a T-Mobile arena or anything, it's it's you know at the apex. It is what it is, but hopefully that will now give them the momentum they need. And I keep talking about it, but you know that London card in March. If all things go well, you're starting to see reports about the UFC. Uh, I just saw earlier on today potentially coming back to Canada uh, early next year. So international markets are going to start to open up again, and the UK is a very very important one. And I'm sure all of the British fighters who have been competing over the last almost two years um, without having the opportunity to compete at a big show in the UK for the UFC will be just chomping at the bit. And with both Mason and Jai getting that first one under their belt, I'm sure um, they'll be making you know inroads with their management to, to see if the UFC will give them that opportunity. If not sooner, let's see if these guys want to continue to perhaps you know jump in and fight at the Apex or some other shows. Uh, before that London event in in March, because that is still about what, five or so months away. But yeah, just love to see it. Love love the early card. It means that people back home don't have to stay up until three, four, five o'clock in the morning uh, to to watch some of their kind of local homegrown heroes compete uh, in the UFC. Yeah, no, it was great to see. And uh, shout out to Aiden Lee as well. Aiden Lee was fighting on the prelims at Bellator uh, in Moscow. He picked up a big win as well. So it's a good a good night for uh, for the Brits on Saturday night, both in Bellator and in the UFC. And uh, as you say, it was a doubleheader weekend, Bellator and UFC on Saturday night. This weekend is all about UFC Fight Island, the UFC back in Abu Dhabi, UFC 267. It's a bit of a weird one because in the States, I don't think this is on pay-per-view, even though it's a numbered 
in quotation marks, pay-per-view card. I think it's just on ESPN Plus if you're stateside. I thought I saw something about that during the broadcast on Saturday night. So bit of a freebie one by the sound of it. Obviously here in the UK, live on BT Sport as per usual. Two title fights at the top of the card, Sandu. Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira for the undisputed light heavyweight belt. And we've got an interim bantamweight title fight between the former champ, uh, Piotr Jan, and Corey Sanhagen, who has deserved his shot at the gold, and he's going to get it on Saturday night. Let's talk about the main event first off, Sandu. Legendary Polish power, Jan Blachowicz versus the oldest swinger in town in terms of the light heavyweight division, Glover Teixeira. Um, you can't hate on the man. He's been around for what feels like forever. And uh, he's had a shot at the belt before. That was back in 2014, would you believe, uh, against against Johnny Bones Jones at UFC 172. Now he's worked his way back up again. He's riding a five-fight win streak. And he's going to get in there with Jan, Jan Blahovic. Is he a live underdog in this fight, Sandu? Or is it going to be and still on fight night? I'm looking forward to this as a stylistic matchup. I'm looking forward to it. And had you told me after... Glover lost to John Jones that in 2021, he'd still be around and competing for a UFC light heavyweight championship. I would not have believed you, but you got to give credit to the man for persevering, you know, staying relevant, staying busy. You know, look, it is at 205 pounds where, you know, a lot of his contemporaries have either retired or moved on or they're not in the UFC anymore. He's stuck around and it's honestly just a perfect situation for him because, who knows if he would have perhaps got the title shot if John Jones was, you know, still the champion and still dominate the division. The minute John Jones departed his his situation as a title holder and kind of opened things up at two hundred and five pounds, and the second that Jan Blahovic won that championship match, all of a sudden anyone that had previously got a title shot or you know had fallen short against John Jones, Glover being at the top of the mix there, all they had to do was get a bit of a win streak going. And given his age, I'm sure he's going to be going. 100% this week. You know, he knows this is his absolute last chance uh, to fight for UFC Championship, uh, to have status as UFC Champion on, on his resume. And look, let's be honest, in comparison to what he had to face in 2014 against John Jones, this is a much more favorable matchup for Glover Teixeira when you look at the body types, when you look at the skill sets. So I'm sure he's going to be you know, feeling really confident in his uh, ability to, to, to beat John, John Blahovich. But that all being said, there's something about Jan, and nobody saw this coming, but he has just matured so well as a fighter. And he's, I guess, has figured it out. You know, it, he's done it a little bit later uh, than some other fighters tend to do. But whether it's strategy, I mean, look at the, the Adesanya performance. That is all strategy, right? And so I'm sure he's going to have a really good game plan. You know, he's a big deal, in not just in Poland, but in other parts of the world, but especially in Poland. And you know, there's a movie coming out um, all about him and, and his journey. And so I feel like of all the, I guess, matchups available, this would have been like a nice, you know what? I fancy a nice win there against Glover in Abu Dhabi. Keep this kind of a train truck chucking along now with me as champion. I think there's definitely more um, stylistically difficult matchups probably waiting for him a bit further down the road at 205 pounds. And I certainly will be favoring Jan Blahovic to win. But at the same time, uh, I'm just so happy that Glover's going to get this opportunity. And you you mentioned the, the, the ESPN special presentation. Yeah, it's because they've got UFC 268 the following week in Madison Square Garden. So I don't think they were going to be you know, too keen to do two pay-per-views back-to-back. So this is almost like the perfect situation for the fighters where it's a stack card it's going to be on free TV in America where it hopefully get a lot of eyeballs on them. The only thing, and I'm sure they would have probably figured this out by now, is like what the compensation is. Because as you know, Simon, UFC champions, they got to cut the pay-per-view. So I wonder how that's been figured out with this not being on pay-per-view in the biggest market, which is the US. So that all being said, though, um, yeah, Jan Blahovic, I'm going to... Uh, go and uh, go ahead and uh, slap on the Ann Still pick for that one. Yeah, I I tend to I tend to agree with you. I, I find it hard to back against Glover Teixeira because I've kind of expected him to lose each of his last couple of fights, and he's just gone in there and and scored finishes. I mean, his last two wins in in his last two fights, both against former title challengers as well. He TKO'd Anthony Smith at the in in the fifth round uh, in Jacksonville back in May last year. 
and then he submitted Thiago Santos uh, in November in the third round, rear naked choke. So he's put away two former title challenges to get a shot at Jan Blahovic. Blahovic's body of work over the last the last two years is more impressive on paper. Knocks out Luke Rockhold, split decision over Jack Array, knocks out Corey Anderson, who's going great guns in Bellator right now, finishes Dominic Reyes, and then goes in there and outpoints Israel Adesanya. So in terms of the body of work, I think you've got to lean towards Jan Blahovic. And then you look stylistically, I think Blahovic is the better striker. I think he has more power behind his shots. I think if the fight goes to the map, then I think that's where Glover can maybe get it done. But Jan is such a unit at 205 pounds. Even getting him to the mat is going to be a hell of a test. And uh, you sort of alluded to it earlier, Sandu. Jan seems to have found another gear. I think we, he, he lost to Thiago Santos and then he's just gone on this run. And with each fight, he seems to have gotten sort of incrementally better. And the win over Dominic Reyes, which actually saw him win the vacant title, saw him at a level that I haven't seen him at before. Uh, and then to go in there and do to Israel Adesanya what he did, just bossed him over five rounds. I thought that was super impressive. And I think his confidence is going to be sky high heading into this one. And, uh, you know, he doesn't seem to me like the sort of character that's going to be complacent going into a fight. Um, he will have plenty of respect for Glover to share for sure. And if he goes in there and gives Glover the respect that Glover deserves, I think Yan should come out and win this fight. But do not do not sleep on the challenger because... I wouldn't be massively surprised if Teixeira takes him down and arm triangles him because that's just the sort of fighter he is. And at 41 years of age, what a story that would be if he finally picked up that UFC light heavyweight belt. I remember when he joined the UFC and Joe Rogan was waxing lyrical about him saying, this guy's a killer. He's coming out of Chuck Liddell's gym back then. And um, everybody was sort of bigging this guy up. We didn't know that much about him. And uh, bit by bit, he's worked his way up. He had the shot at John Jones. That didn't go his way. But he's recovered, he's bounced back, and uh, he's experiencing a bit of a, a bit of an Indian summer in his career now. And uh, yeah, this could be the moment of his career on Saturday night. It'd be really interesting to see how that one goes. But that, Sandu, is not the only title fight on the card. We were going to see Peter Yan uh, challenge him for his old belt against the funk master Aljamain Sterling. Sterling is now injured. So now what we've got, enter the Sandman. Corey, Corey Sanhagen is stepping in. Interim belt on the line. I love this matchup. I love this matchup. And I think Corey Sanhagen might be a live underdog in this fight. I really do. I just think stylistically, I think he might have what it takes to get it done. And I love watching Petey Yan. He's one of my favorite fighters to watch. But I just think looking at the looking at the the stats, looking at the physical abilities of both men and you know the attributes, Sanhagen might just have what it's you know, what's what's needed to beat Petey Yan. What do you reckon? I mean, talk about two of the very best at 135 pounds, Simon. We've been talking about bantamweight being kind of the new shark tank. You know, it used to be lightweight, but more and more as time passes on, bantamweight is just full of killers, not just top 10, top 15, top 20, top 25. They just, the, 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 the skill set, the, the level that these fighters are competing at is so insane. And it's unfortunate that Aljamain Sterling is going through some injury issues with his neck right now. Perhaps rushed it back a little bit too soon to commit to this particular date um so you know full full you know you know well wishes to him and hopefully you know he has a full and speedy recovery so he can perhaps uh, defend or in this case unify uh, the bantamweight championship at some point next year but what a great opportunity here for Corey Sandhagen because I think many people still consider Peter Yan uh, the, the real champion, the quote-unquote real champion. Uh, so for him to be able to get that opportunity to fight him and at the same time, if he does win, get that interim championship and then get a rematch going with Aljamain Sterling. I mean, it's almost like the perfect storm. It's like the perfect situation uh, for Corey Sandhagen. I like him a lot and I, and I agree, Simon. I think he is a live underdog. I feel like if he can win, he can definitely go on and perhaps right that wrong in terms of getting that one back against Aljamain Sterling. Cause I was favoring him to beat Aljo and it didn't go his way. And I think he learned a lot in the TJ Dillashaw fight as well in terms of perhaps not, you know, going into neutral a little bit in that performance and not giving that extra 10, 15, 20% to, to win the judges over in some of those crucial rounds. So the fact that he's just fought TJ Dillashaw over five rounds, he's going to be, battle ready for for peter yan that's for sure he's going to be able to go 25 minutes and and i think if anything else he must almost view this situation 
not not a, a last chance, but if you look at his track record, his resume, the, the losses that he's got over the last four or five fights, this is a real big time opportunity to take that next step. And he certainly has the ability. That being said, it's still Peter Yan, you know, and, and Peter Yan, like he's so damn good. And for him to not even flinch and say yes immediately to a replacement fight in Corey Sanhagen tells you everything you need to know about him. So now, yeah, big, big fight. That's and the yes, UFC card. Championship and we also have. I hate them. I normally hate interim title fights, but you put that to the side, just a matchup stylistically right now. Like I said, at the, at the top of this uh, segment, Simon, two of the very best at 135 pounds. I can't, I can't wait, honestly. Yeah, you look at Peter Yan's record. He's had 17 pro fights and he's 15 and two, but both of those losses have got big asterisks over them. He lost to Magomed Magomedov in a fight that I watched um acb 32 he got robbed in that fight that was a split decision i think he had a point deducted for a headbutt in the closing minutes or the closing seconds of the very last round of that fight that looked like a pretty accidental clash of heads to me uh that point deduction effectively lost him the fight um so i think that one is slightly iffy he avenged that defeat two fights later to win the acb bantamweight belt and then of course his most recent outing against al jermaine sterling disqualification from an illegal knee unfortunate scenario um obviously i don't think it was it was fully deliberate well he didn't mean to deliberately foul him it was a deliberate strike um but it sounded you know we, we went through this at the time it was it sounded to me like he was getting advice from his corner and uh he ended up throwing a shot that he should not have thrown and he ended up losing his title because of it so two big asterisks above his name. Like no one has actually beaten him in my eyes, legitimately in, in the cage during his career. So that I think we need to keep in mind. Corey Sanhagen, on the other hand, he has been, he's been in superb form. You know, the, the Marlon Marais finish was outstanding. After He obviously got subbed very quickly by Aljo after a great run in the UFC, bounces back, finishes Marlon Marais super quick, finishes Frankie Edgar even quicker. And then goes in there with TJ Dillashaw. And as you say, he sort of took his foot off the gas at a, kind of the wrong point in the fight and ended up losing a split. So, and he's he's kind of got a bit fortunate with this whole event. I mean, I, Aljamain Sterling, pulls out injured with his lingering neck issues. And the natural move would have been to give TJ Dillashaw the title fight because he won. TJ Dillashaw, however is rehabbing a knee injury as a result of that that fight with uh, Corey Sanhagen, meaning the coast was clear for Sanhagen to step in there and take on Peter Yan. And we're in this situation where you've got a bantamweight interim title fight, both fighters coming in off losses, which is, which is unusual to say the least. But I think if you're looking at who's active in a division, these are the two best 35ers in the world who are currently available to fight. So uh, even though the stat sheet looks a bit weird, if you take a look at their records, there's no detracting from the fact that these are the two best active bantamweights uh, in the UFC going into this current weekend. So I mean, I'm excited for this one. Like I'm, I'm, it's kind of a coin flip. San Hagen has got what it takes to win this fight. Peter Yan, I've never seen anybody actually beat him legitimately. It's a really tough one. Um, if, if San Hagen is of any kind of betting value, I'd be tempted to put a few quid on him as a punter. But uh, I, I do find it hard to back against Peter Yan. It's one of those. It's a really tough one. But two title fights aside, Sandu, this is a cracking fight card. You take a look at this main card. Every It's all killer, no filler on this main card. Islam Makachev against Dan Hooker. Incredible story of this. Dan Hooker hasn't even been home since his last fight. He stayed in Vegas. He's carried on training. He got offered the Makachev fight short notice. He's taken the fight. And this is this is a huge opportunity for him against a guy that nobody wants to fight at 155 pounds. Uh, Makachev knows that he needs to get a win over a name a name opponent in the division in order to gate crash that top bracket and be forced into a match or someone needs to be forced into a matchup with him. Dan Hooker is the sort of guy who can do that for him. Um, so I know obviously that he thinks he can go in there and beat Dan Hooker, and he might well do. But I think he, he almost owes Dan Hooker a, a debt of gratitude for stepping in because I very much doubt anybody else ranked anywhere near Dan would have been prepared to step in there and take this fight. It's a big fight for both men. Great opportunity for Hooker as well. He beats Makachev. His stock is sky high again. So um, I love this matchup all, way, all, all the way around, no matter which way you look at it. 
Yeah, like I think you hit the nail on the head there, Simon. It's like Dan Hooker has accepted the fight nobody else wants to take. And I think if you can be the guy that in the UFC just absolutely destroys Makachev or defeats him or knocks him out, submits him or really puts a whooping on him, then not only do you derail what DC and Team AKA and Khabib have come almost, you know, crowned the 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 heir to the throne, you know, as the next you know, king in the lightweight division following in Khabib's footsteps, then all of a sudden that loss that you took to Michael Chandler is almost erased and you're you're completely back on track. You gotta give credit to Dan Hooker. I mean to be away from everyone you know and love back home in New Zealand, your family and everything, your kids, and to to stick around in, in Vegas and just continue to train and put in the hours on the off chance you may get another fight. The the visa situation and the the COVID certificate or lottery or whatever um is going on in new zealand is is so difficult and it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not i, I wish there was perhaps a little bit special dispensation um for for the athletes especially when you look at you know what new zealand is known for in global sports and world sports and yeah. here you have you know a gym at city kickboxing that is literally running the show for, for the for the most part you know it's one of the top I'd say three gyms in all of mixed martial arts right now in terms of the overall talent. And obviously they've got champions as well. So yeah, it's great to Dan Hooker. And for Makachev, you know, great. You know, it's going to be in Abu Dhabi. So you know, not too far for you to travel for, from Dagestan. It's an opportunity to fight on a big card. It's going to be someone that is, you know, highly thought about, ranked. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. And uh, I can't wait to see how this one plays out. I, I will be favoring Makachev because I, I do feel like he is, he legitimately is following in Khabib's footsteps now in terms of his like overall MMA style. But <clears throat> if Dan Hooker can can stop this, that could, in, in theory and on paper, be the win of the night, depending on how things play out. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at Islam Makachev's record, you know, the thing that, the thing that seemed to be the one knock against him more recently was that he needed to get more finishes. He needed to be a little bit more dominant in terms of actually getting the finishes inside the cage. He got a couple of decisions uh, as he was moving up in level. Armin Sarukian, who's massively underrated at 55. Davi Ramos, he got decisions against them. And it's like, okay, can he finish the top guys? He then submits Drew Dober. He then submits Tiago Moises. So he's he's answering these questions that people are posing. You know, can he do this? The answer is yes, he can. He's 20 and one. And the, the one on his record was his second fight in the UFC against Adriano Martins, who knocked him out inside two minutes uh, at UFC 192. And that's the one sort of glimmer of hope if you're Dan Hooker. We have seen him succumb to strikes before. So can Dan Hooker find a way in land those strikes and uh, get the KO. He'll think he can. And the city kickboxing guys will certainly have him well drilled to make sure that he can put himself in the best position to do that. But of course, in order to do that, he needs to be standing up. And uh, Islam Makachev is, is one of the best in the UFC lightweight division at taking his opponents off the feet. So it's a real styles clash. If, if Hooker can keep the fight standing, this fight gets interesting real quick. But if he can't stop the takedown, then this could be a bit of a one-sided hammering with uh, with Izan Makachev swinging the hammer. So it's an interesting one. And uh, you're talking about Dan Hooker being away from the family and stuff. I saw, I think he did a he did a media scrum in Vegas. Uh, he he sat in on the uh, the media day for the UFC fight night this past week, and he did a little media scrum. And I think I remember him saying the UFC are going to fly his family out. I assume to Vegas. I don't know. Um, so I don't know whether Dan Hooker is then going to go back to Vegas after Fight Island and his family are going to meet him there and they're going to spend some time together there and then maybe they all go back together. I don't quite know the, all of the logistics. So whether they're flying him out to Abu Dhabi, I'm not sure. But it seems to me like the UFC are bringing his family to him rather than him having to wait for, I think it's like two-week quarantine or something to get back into New Zealand. So um, I remember after his, I think it was a couple of fights ago, there's him standing across a couple of uh, metal fences, barrier fences, sort of waving to his kids uh, the previous time he had to do this. So um, it sounds like the UFC are going to bring his family to him, which will be a nice touch, uh, given, given what he's doing, turning around on short notice. He fought last fought September 25th, so a month to the day as we record this, uh, he defeated Nazareth Hakparast at UFC 266. 
So uh, just over a month removed from that, he'll be back in the cage against his name, Makachev. Also on this main card, Sandu, Alexander Volkov versus Machin Tabura at heavyweight. Interesting fight between two guys just outside title contention. Big win for whoever gets the victory there. They'll end up in something approaching a contender fight next time out. Li Jingliang against Hamzat Chimaev at welterweight. I'm fascinated by this one. It's been a while since we've seen Hamzat back uh, um, actually in action in the cage. Li Jingliang is an all-action brawler. He gets in your face. He's heavy-handed. Uh, he knocked out Santiago Ponzinibbio in stunning fashion last time out. Is he the kryptonite for Hamzat Chimaev, or are we going to just see Chimaev go, uh, go in and smash, as he likes to say, yet another opponent and, uh, and move on his merry way? And also, should he be staying at welterweight? Because he's a big unit. Maybe he might be better off at 185 moving on. I'm not too sure, but it'd be good to see him back in action again because it's been a while. This is a really difficult fight for me to predict Simon and kind of envision how it's going to play out for a few different reasons number one Li Jingliang is tough he is really tough he's really good he you know he's no walkover he's no pushover this isn't a gimme fight at all for Hamza and the thing with Shemaev is he hasn't fought in over a year and you know there was a point where we thought his career was over because of severe illness and lung issues uh, due to COVID and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So physically, how has he been? Um, if he's been at 100%, has he leveled up? Has he improved his game? Like a year is a long time uh, to be away from this sport. And, you know, he's coming back now and he seems to be in good spirits, looking at social and everything like that. You know, he seems to be, you know, looking, looking good and, and all the rest of it, putting in all the work. But yeah, it's still a difficult one. Like if he can replicate what he did last year in terms of performance, if he just goes out there and blitzes Li, Li Jing Liang, then my God, you know, are we talking about a quick turnaround again? Are we talking about him, you know, competing this weekend against Li Jing, Li Jing Liang at welterweight? And then what, two weeks later, three weeks later or four weeks later, jumping on uh, a card and, and fighting at middleweight. You know, that's that was his thing last year. He was fighting consistently. He was jumping jumping up and down in weight classes. You had Dana White putting him over hard, promoting him really, really well. And I feel like it's going to be one of the situations. This could be the comeback fighter of the year. You know, considering what he's been through, right? And considering how high everybody was and how the MMA community just took to him, right? Like he was just the, the breakout star of 2020, uh, the breakout star of COVID events, just you know, just anytime, anywhere, any place kind of attitude, literally living and breathing it. And um, you know, if he puts on a good performance this weekend, if Boars, you know, really does come back uh, in in a big way, um, yeah, it's time to start to get excited about Hamza Shemaev again. But for for right now, days away from this event, I still do have a lot of questions just given what he's been through in the last 12 months. Yeah, and the big question mark for me is he's fought three times in the UFC and he's been alternating his weight classes, right? He started off at middleweight, then dropped down to welterweight to beat Reese McKee, then moved up to middleweight again to knock out Gerald Mearshat in 17 seconds. And now he's going back down to 170 pounds again. Now on the face of it, that's, that's no, no big deal. He's done that before he's fought at welterweight. He's made weight, no worries there, but coming off the layoff that he's had coming off the health issues that he's been battling, does a punishing weight cut on top of everything else make sense? Coming back for a middleweight fight to me would have made more sense given everything he'd been through. So the fact he's coming back to a 170 pound fight as opposed to a 185 pound fight. And don't forget the gap in weight classes between welterweight and middleweight is big. It's a big gap. It's not your regular smallish gap that you get your 10 pounds as you get down the rank. It's a 15 pound gap. So it's not insignificant, and uh, that means he needs to be in tip-top shape on arrival, not Paolo Costa shape. We're talking super-duper, on weight, ready to go, because he can fight at middleweight. He's probably a natural middleweight, so he's got to do a bit of work to get to 171, and uh, that would be my only major concern. Li Jingliang has never been knocked out, Sandu. He's, got, he's been defeated six times in his career. He's only ever been finished once. And that was a uh, a standing rear naked choke. He got choked out by Keita Nakamura 
in uh, in his fourth UFC appearance back in 2015. But other than that, it's been on the scorecards and it's come against guys who've taken him down and wrestled him. Jake Matthews, Neil Magny, they're the two most recent ones. And if Chimaev takes that approach, I think we could see another another decision defeat potentially. Whether he can get the finish, who knows? He's got a great a great killer instinct when the fight's on the mat and being able to finish guys, whether it be submission or strikes. So um, if Chimaev gets a win, then it really is off and running. He'd be 10-0 and 0 if he gets a win. And uh, I would love for him to just pick a weight class and just stick with it. For me, middleweight makes more sense, but who knows? But pick a weight class and go for it because you've kind of jumped around the weight classes, made yourself available. You've had those fights in quick succession. You're in, your foot's in the door, you're established, you're a, you're a, you're a hot prospect. Now I think the time is to lock yourself into a division and make a run and start calling out some names. And uh, I think if he gets the win on Saturday, on Saturday night against Li Jingliang, Hopefully that's what we'll see. As for the leech, I mean, he took he took out Santiago Ponzinibbio in incredible fashion uh, last time we saw him, and uh, he's finished th- each of his last three wins by strikes. David Zavada, Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos, and Santiago Ponzinibbio. In there was his defeat to Neil Magny on the scorecards, but his three wins, each by TKO or KO, each of them earning fifty thousand dollar performance of the night bonuses. This fight should be a good one, and I'm really looking forward to it. You picking Shimaev or you picking the leech, Sandu? This is a real harder to pick than a broken nose. This one, there's so many intangibles. Yeah, tough for me to predict. I'm probably going to just lean towards Shimaev only because he's undefeated, and and historically, I don't like picking against undefeated fighters because they haven't really given me a reason not to pick them because they've just been, you know, flawless, hundred percent track record in the win column. Um, I do have major questions, but like I said, if if I'm going to see the glass half full and be a bit optimistic about this weekend, the return of Hamza Shamayev, if he's able to parlay what he did last year and just level up, and if he has leveled up over the last 12 months, then yeah, I think this could be a, a big, big performance out of him. Yeah, and uh, just to wrap up the main card, give us a quick fire pick for this one, Sandu. Light heavyweights, Magomed Ankalaev, a guy that we've spoken about at length on this show, against Vulcan Ozdemir, uh, another guy who... Has always been great to deal with whenever I've chatted to him. Uh, a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a character on the quiet. He doesn't always come across as such in the interviews, but uh, when we chatted to him in London, he was an absolute star. Both guys are more than capable of winning this fight inside the distance. Ozdemir's got power. Ankalaev's got power. Where's your money going? Purely based on the form guide here, Simon, I'm going to stick with Ankalaev. He's won six in a row. Ozdemir has lost four of his last six. Um, so not the great, greatest of form coming in. Um, so yeah, based on form guide, I'm picking Ankalaev here. Yeah, I can't back against him. He's the guy, I, I firmly believe this man is going to hold championship gold within the next next two years at £205. I, I think he's that good. Ozdemir has a punch's chance for sure, but I'm going to go with the Russian Magomed Ankalaev. That is the main card for UFC 267. But before we uh, wrap things up, Sandy, we do have a Brit on the card. Earlier on, on the prelims, Lerone Murphy is stepping in. At, I think he stepped in at just under two months' notice. So he's had a bit of a run-up. He's going to take on a friend of the show, Makwan Amir Khani, who we both know very well. This is a great matchup. Makwan Amir Khani got that strong wrestling background. Lerone Murphy, really slick on the feet. And uh, this should be a good one. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, how do you see that one panning out? Yeah, I, I think this is going to be, Le- <clears throat> I think this is going to be Leroy Murphy's fight to to lose here, Simon. He's the one that's coming in undefeated, and love Mark one, really do. You know, covering the European circuit, got a chance to go to a lot of his fights, interview him a bunch, but unfortunately, he just hasn't seemed to to level up and get that consistency going. He's lost his three out of his last four. Um, he doesn't really get you know, uh, finished often, if uh, uh, you know, much at all, to be honest with you. Like he, uh, of his like six losses, one by knockout, one by submission and four by decision. Um, Lerone Murphy hasn't fought since January of this year, but you have to feel as though, you know, l- looking at all of your fellow country men and women, you know, competing so often, that's probably giving giving him enough of an incentive to um, to go out there, put on a show uh, and get that win. And I think this is a very winnable fight for him. So I'm going to be picking Lerone Murphy here. Yeah, I think he he's looked really good uh, since he joined the UFC. He had the, the debut against Zabira Tukagov, ended up in a draw. 
I thought he was a bit hard done by there. I thought he deserved a bit better in that fight. He's since gone on to finish Ricardo Ramos, uh, outpoint Douglas Silva de Andrade, who is no slouch. So he's he's 10-0 with one draw, which was the, the Tukagov fight. He's got a performance of the night bonus in his back pocket as well from the Ramos fight. And uh, assuming he's, he's at full fitness and good to go, I think this could be a really good fight for him. If he gets the win here, he'll want to get back in there as early as possible. You've mentioned March card. Uh, if, if if we get it in London next year, he's another one who would be absolutely locked in for that event for sure. So that would be an ideal turnaround time. So let's see how Lerone does. He will be early on. Uh, he's currently listed as the fourth fight from the start of the evening. So uh, make sure you're tuned in nice and early for the preliminary card. Um, it should be it should be a good night, this one. That main card is an absolutely stacked main card. We've got a Brit on the prelims. Um, it should be a good night of fight, Sandu. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to uh, things starting to ramp up as we get towards the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, we've got completely stacked events, especially the pay-per-views. Those are absolutely can't miss. But then, you know, peppered in between them, some of these fight nights are incredible. You've got Holloway Rodriguez, Font versus Aldo, uh, Lewis versus Daukas. Like, that's going to be the, the end of year show on December 18th. But yeah, like I said, the next six, seven events that the UFC are going to give us uh, up until we get to December 18th are going to be really, really good. Have to say, Simon, well, I know we've spoken about uh, the UFC uh, pay-per-view this weekend, or um, I, call, I call it pay-per-view. It's not really a pay-per-view at length. We should note the PFL, their championship event is taking place on Wednesday. And... This is their big event of the year. And I'm just kind of curious just to kind of get your take just right off the bat, because I think the big story here is Kayla Harrison. You know, what's she going to do after? Is this going to be just another easy million dollar paycheck for a second title in the PFL? And then she enters free agency. Where does she go? Who does she sign for? You know, does she stay with the PFL? Does she go to Bellator and get that Chris Cyborg fight? Does she sign with the UFC? And you know potentially get things going where she'll ultimately want to have want to fight Amanda Nunes at 145 pounds. What's the general, I guess, feel for this one? Because I have to say, for me, it feels weird. It's like your championship event, and it's on a it's on a it's a midweek event. It's a midweek card. It's on a Wednesday. I loved the slot that they had before on New Year's Amazing. Eve. Yeah, and like I know that I think this is all because they want to start earlier next year. And they want to do more events. Um, so let's see if this, you know, October, mid, mid-October um, championship event is like the new staple moving forward. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's for me personally, there isn't that buzz of like the biggest event of the year that the PFL have, you know, got to offer. It's their championship event and it's taking place on our Wednesday. This feels weird. It does. It does. And I don't know why they picked a Wednesday. I really don't. Um, maybe maybe venue availability was a major issue. I don't know. I mean, it does seem strange that what is their marquee event of the year? I mean, they were. I know they were talking about having it in a big international location. They would talk maybe going in, going abroad, coming to London was an option. I know they were talking about other potential uh, overseas locations, and now we're ending up with, you know, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on a Wednesday night. It just doesn't doesn't scream big time to me, but these are big time fights. These are million dollar fights. And I mean, if you want any kind of idea of what the PFL thinks of Kayla Harrison, she's the main event. They've put her at the top of the card against Taylor Godardo in the main event. They've got all those different title fights and they've picked Kayla because she is without doubt the biggest star on this fight card. She is the main event. Clarissa Shields is on this card. Um, they've put her above most of the other title fights, actually, there's the the uh, the welterweight title fight between Magomed Magomed Karimov and Ray Cooper. That will be a banger. That is the co-main event. Clarissa Shields, who is only one and zero in MMA, she's the third fight on the card, and then you've got one after the other, the remaining four uh, tournament title fights. So uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we were hoping to see Brendan Brendan Lochnane in that final. He got uh, edged out on the scorecards by uh, Movlid Kaibalaev, uh, who is the real deal for sure at 45. Interesting to note, uh, Brendan is out there. Brendan is out there. He's not on this fight card. 
But he is out there. He is in fight shape. He has been posted on Instagram. He looks absolutely ripped, stripped, and striated, ready to go. Uh, he's been jumping rope. He's been hitting mitts. He's ready to step in. If someone, if something happens during fight week, uh, we have a weigh-in issue on Tuesday. Brendan is ready. And uh, wouldn't that be a story if uh, Brendan Lockdown ends up back in the final um, after narrowly missing out in the semis? But yeah, he's certainly he's certainly doing everything he can. As for as for Kayla Harrison, I don't know what's going to happen. Could can the PFL throw enough money at her to convince her to stay, or has Kayla done everything that she wants to do at PFL level? Because there's a big gap in class between Kayla and the rest at PFL. She needs to go test herself. She needs to go to Bellator, or she needs to go to UFC. And uh, if she can make 145 consistently, UFC's got to be the location, I would imagine. And I would imagine the UFC would uh, would throw a few a few bucks her way to make that happen. And uh, then all roads would lead to eventually the two teammates, Amanda Nunes and Kayla Harrison, fighting for that for that featherweight title. But uh, who knows? Bellator have got a featherweight division just sitting there. Chris Cyborg is at the top of that division. That wouldn't be a terrible fight either. So Kayla's in a great position. She's got options. She's got one promotion that's prepared to throw money at her uh, and keep her. You've got two other promotions who I'm sure would love her to go across and uh, jump into their featherweight divisions. So if it's, it's a good time to be Kayla Harrison right now, for sure. Yeah, I feel like she's going to be the hottest free agent uh, in you know as this kind of year rounds out. Like She's literally fighting in a couple of days, most likely going to win. And literally is a free agent and she's undefeated Olympic gold medalist two time. She'll be a two time PFL champion unless she slips on a banana peel this week. And, you know, in terms of just being like a character and a star, I feel like over the last couple of years, she's really, you know, I guess gone up a few levels. Like she, I think she's a pretty good interview now. She's mixing it up um, with some pro wrestling uh, she's she was there with AEW and the rest of the uh, American Top Team squad, you know, having some fun and shenanigans there. So I feel like she's more personable, um, and I think she gets the promotional side of this business a lot more and a lot better than perhaps she did a couple of years ago. And in fact, it looks like and it seems like she's embracing it. You know, she's em- embracing whatever persona she feels as though she has. And uh, you know, if 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 the UFC aren't going to pay her, maybe Bellator will, maybe the PFL will, or maybe she'll just like you go on a fight by fight basis, and and see how things go from there. Here's the thing, though, she's not going to be coming cheap. She is literally going to be coming into free agency at the peak of her market value, and it's going to come down to you know how her and her team and her management can negotiate with all the relevant parties. It's going to be a big big story to watch as we round out 2021. Yeah, without doubt. And you take a look at the scenarios available to her. There's no bad options for her. She could stay in PFL, go win another million dollars and completely boss another season at 155 pounds. No problem at all. Or she can jump into Bellator or UFC, have to work a little bit harder in in terms of bringing herself down to 45 for championship weight. But there she's got a whole load of good fights available for her in either in either organization. So she's got loads of options. And uh, I just hope that no matter what what option she picks, we see her in there with a real big super fight going for one of the championship belts within a year from now. I, I suspect it won't have to take that long. It might even be her first fight in is a title fight. You know, strike while the iron's hot and uh, make make the most of it. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Kayla Harrison in 2022 she's got to go and win the final on wednesday night and all, all respect to taylor godardo for making her way through to the final but i think the general consensus is that this fight is kayla harrison's to lose so we'll see how this all pans out we'll bring you uh the list of million dollar champions on next week's show to uh to wrap up the pfl's 2021 season but speaking of wrapping up sandu i reckon that's us pretty much done this week Yep, and if you want to help support the show, the best way to do that is go to our website, thebritpackmma.com. That's thebritpackmma.com. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you do listen to us on the Apple Podcast platform, rate and review us. If you can do that, take 30 seconds out of your time to rate and review us there. That is the best way of helping the show grow there because that's how the algorithm works. The more rates and reviews you get, that's how apple starts to promote the show and uh, find us new audiences so yeah and you can also find us on social media uh, and both my links simon's links 
and the show links are available, like I said, at thebritpackmma.com. Should be a good one this weekend. UFC 267, we've got a Brit on the prelims, we've got a stacked main card, and two title fights to wrap up the night. Should be a good one. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll speak to you next week.